So I'm wired up today. I've already had my hand caught in the cord once. By See, that's sort of the way I teach. I move around. Not only do I move around on stage, my hands move around too. So anyways, um, Isaac said I might want to tuck the cord in here like that. I'm welcome to do that. And you know what? I think it's a good idea. So thanks. <laughs> I've really enjoyed also um, this past week in, in my study um, it's a lot different when you don't have to go to school and you have a lot more time to study and reflect and pray. And um, I, I feel like uh, this has been a, a good, good sermon for myself. So let's, uh, let's open with prayer before we begin. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for today and I thank you for your word. And I, your word is truth. Your word is authoritative. Your word, O oh Lord, is inspired and it's infallible, inerrant. I pray, God, that you would just help us during this time to understand your word, that we might know you better. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, um, there, are, there are four verses that, uh, that come to my mind that I said a little bit er- earlier that I think are so important, and that is... Uh, you know, the verse that's in Matthew where Jesus talks about he's building his church. And that part where he's, we're being empowered by the Holy Spirit. The power where that we should not fear. That, and the power of the knowing that whatever we are going through, that the Lord is walking through us, with us, through whatever circumstance we are, we're in. And so the, the title of this message is that we are witnesses for Christ. And we should be fearless and not fearful. Whenever you look at a section of scripture, the things that you look at, I probably listened to four or five different sermons, and it seems like people, you know, as they were praying, the Lord uh, focused on one aspect or another about this particular section. But one of the things that, I mean, I ask myself that question too. Whenever I come to a portion of scripture, I say, God, what is it that is try, what is being said here? And how can we apply that to our lives? So the first thing, you know, we're looking at, we're saying, what do I observe here? What do I observe? And the subject that I see is this. There are seven questions we asked ourselves. And the, one of the questions I asked myself, what is the result of the gospel message in Lystra? I mean, that's what I see. So we see there are people that are responding, like the cripple, and we see there are people that are rejecting. But I see that as a major thought there. Like, what is the result of the message that's happening in Lystra? And the compliment is some were persuaded and some rejected. And so this big idea is we need to faithfully sow seeds of the gospel and leave the results to God. We need to faithfully sow the seeds of the gospel and leave the results with God. I mean, think at the end what happened with Paul. I mean, he was stoned, right? But he gets back in and he walks back into the city. And I, I was just thinking, that guy, he had a lot of courage. But isn't that the same spirit that we have in us? Shouldn't we have that same holy boldness that Paul did? What does it say in James 5? That Elijah, a man just like us. Paul was a man. Elijah was a man, but he followed hard after God. He made a decision to obey Christ. So my homiletical idea, the the one big message that I want you to know as you leave here, we are witnesses for Christ. That comes from Acts 1.8. And we need to be fearless and not fearful. We need to be fearless. Martin Luther said, whatever your heart clings to and confides in is your God. 
Now, there was a story of J. Vernon McGee that talked one time. He said he was playing golf with a man, and the man was not a Christian. And he, he, but he, he believed the gospel. He didn't believe in the gospel, but he knew what the gospel was about. And so J. Vernon McGee asked him, he said, so why do you choose not to believe in Christ and trust Him as your Savior? He says, well, you know, I've been watching a lot of other people that say they're Christians, and I don't know. And J. Vernon McGee, he interrupted me at that time, and he said, well, I think that's the problem right now, is that you need to be looking at the Lord Jesus Christ and not watching other people, because it's the Lord Jesus Christ that we serve. And so that's sort of what you see happening here, is that these people in Lystra, they didn't have their eyes on Christ. They were serving Zeus. They were serving other idols and worshipers. They were worshipers of them. But we need to keep our eyes on Christ. So my first main point, and I wanted to take just a quick look at this, because I think we need to set the stage. As we talked about in Sunday school, chapters 13 and 14 go together. Because if you see, the people from Antioch, were the ones that stoned him in Lystra. I mean, there has to be some kind of, of connection here like this. There's important background. So I want you to turn for a second to Acts 13. One of the things that's important that I've learned in my uh, ministry studies is this, is context is king. What is the context? What's going on? What's the historical context? What's the grammatical context? What's the rhetorical context? What's the overall idea? What's happening here? Well, one of the things I need to give you a little bit of a background, and we talked about this in Sunday school as well, is that when at, why did Paul go first to the cities that he did? Well, one of the main reasons is that he went on the thoroughfares that the Roman roads were built out. If you were in, um, I don't have a map up there, but if you were in Italy, there was the Apian Way. Right? It was a fast way for commerce. It was a fast way for military. There was a Roman road. And they were great at constructing roads. When you were going across Greece in that area, there was the Ignatian Way. He, and he went there. He went to Philippi. He went to Thessalonica. He went down the I-5. And then he would go to the synagogues. Well, guess what? When you went to over in Turkey, there was another Roman road. And he traveled that road. He went to Antioch. He went to Iconium. He went to Lystra. The, the Via Sebaste was its name. The Royal Road. He traveled the interstates, basically. But then he also went to the synagogue. Now, this is important for us to understand because you notice that he didn't go to a, a synagogue when he went to Lystra. Well, let's figure out why. Did every town have a synagogue? No, they didn't. Remember, you had to have 10 Jewish men in there to be able to have a synagogue. That's the way the rule was on that. So in a synagogue, there would be a liturgy, right? And so in the liturgy, you would have like a format you would go through. So the question is, why would Paul go there? I mean, he was an unknown, right? Who He goes up to Antioch and he's able to talk in the synagogue? What? Okay? So anyway, so he goes to Antioch. The way it goes is the first thing they would do is the Shema. They would go in and they would, they would do Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. That was the call to worship. The next thing you would do is there would be some kind of a prayer. The, the, the prayer would be of the synagogue leader. It would have a prayer. And then the next part would be what was called the reading of the Torah. 
So the read, they would the first five books of the, the Old Testament. You can tell I had a little bit more time to study this week. So anyways, I really got into this. I thought it was good. The Torah, and there would be a reading. Then you would be, there would be what was called the Haftrah. The Haftrah was a reading from the prophets. You can see this, I mean, actually as you read the account. Because when you see in Acts 13, it says this. From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga and Pamphylia, where John left them and returned to Jerusalem. From Perga, they went on to Pisidia and Andon. On the Sabbath, they entered the synagogue. They sat down after the reading of the Torah, the law, right? And the prophets, the Haftrah. Then what was happening? They sent word to them saying, now you have the drasha. The drasha was an opportunity for rabbis to speak, even visiting rabbis. Bingo. Do you think Paul was going to not let an opportunity go by? So here's what happens. I mean, it's right in the scripture. After the reading of the law and the prophets, the synagogue rulers sent word to them saying, Brothers, if you have a message, encourage the people. Please speak. Paul says, you bet. I'm going to speak. The thing that I want to share with you as we get to this point is that Paul was bold in his faith. Now, he goes in and he says, listen to me. And he's talking about that. He's talking about the Old Testament and Egypt and Abraham. And then he talks to David and he says, and here is David and he, he saw decay, but I'm going to tell you about the one that hasn't seen decay. And all of a sudden, you know, he has to go through about eight verses before he gets to Jesus. But he gets to Jesus. He's setting the stage, right? And that's sort of what we're doing right now as we get to this section, but it's important to understand what's happening. So Paul drops a bomb right here. We call this in Sunday school, this was like the Moab. This was like the mother of all bombs he dropped in the synagogue. And if you want to call it, uh, Paul was one thing. He was either riot or revival. And there was going to be like, he was going to be, think about this. He gave a message in the synagogue. He went to, and then he went to, um, that's when Isaac preached. He went to Iconium. That's when David preached and they were going to stone him. I had missed that part the first time I read that because I knew that he stoned, got stoned in Lystra. And I went back and said, oh yeah, they tried to stone him in Iconium too. He's traveling down that road. But it says the people from Antioch and Iconium came to Lystra and stoned him. So this part is important because these people were the ones that went over 100 miles to get to Lystra and stoned him. But here's the Moab that he dropped. It says, it's in verse 36, and it starts a little bit. It says, For when David had served God's purpose and his own generation, he fell asleep. He buried with his fathers and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. He's talking about Jesus, right? Therefore, in verse 38, here it comes. Therefore, my brothers. So he's given the opportunity to speak, right? He's a rabbi. He's a teacher. He says, I want, to, I want you to know that through Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Well, that was a little bit of a bomb right there because I thought God only serves you, sins, forgives sins, and here's Jesus. And then he says this, through him, everyone who believes, this is verse 39, through him, everyone who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from the law of Moses. Whoa. I mean, if you, if you were a pious Jew, if you were a religious Jew, right? What, what, do, what was the important thing to do? I mean, to follow God, you followed the law, right? Is that what you're going to say? <laughs> That's right. You could not be justified from the law of Moses. Take care of what the prophets have said to you. And then here comes another little bombshell too. Look, you scoffers. 
And so he starts talking about that. And what he's referring to is if, I mean, if you were schooled, I mean, Jews went to the synagogue to study. That was Habakkuk. And what was Habakkuk complaining about? He's complaining about the Jews because they weren't following, you know, what God was saying. And then all of a sudden, the Babylonians were coming over. And so it was like, he's talking to the Jews. You better watch out or you're going to be punished. Well, they knew what he was talking about because you can see a little bit later on in verse 44, it says, On the next Sabbath, the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. And when the Jews and the crowd saw, they were filled with jealousy and they talked abusively uh, against Paul was saying. And then what does it say? Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, boldly. And then what happened? We had to speak the word of God to you first. And then it says, since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life. Whoa. <laughs> and now we'll turn to the Gentiles for this is what the Lord has commanded us. One of the things that I saw that was really important in this study was this. That Paul did not compromise his faith. I mean, it's really easy sometimes to say to water down the truth. Well, yeah, I believe it. It's like that story I told you one time that I saw where it says, we preach Jesus Christ crucified, the vine grew up after they started being involved, the church was involved in more like social activities and things and not focusing on Christ. The vine continued to grow up and finally it just says, we preach. They didn't, didn't preach anything about Jesus. But what did Paul do? Paul was preaching the truth and he wasn't going to compromise and be, you know, um, and compromise his faith. Or the Bible message. So now let's talk a little bit more. So now he's in Antioch, right? And he's going about 80 miles to Iconium. So that was what Isaac was preaching about. And last week, David was preaching about Iconium, right? So he goes to down this I-5 corridor. He's going down there and he goes to Iconium. Now Iconium, what do we know about that a little bit? Because it's important because the people from Antioch and Iconium were the ones that went to Lystra. They had a synagogue there too, Right? And it says, um, so Iconium, when they went there, they went through a mountain range. It was called the Sultan Mountain Range. It was about, you know, it was, I mean, if you know what Turkey's like, I mean, there's mountains in Turkey. It was like 6,000 feet. It was like, I mean, if you look at, you know, uh, Dizentel Pass, with that's like 3,000 something. So, I mean, it's pretty high. I mean, they're walking along the road. And, but the thing that you need to import, it's important to know about Iconium, Iconium was like a major city as well. I mean, it was the, it was an influential city. It was a Greek city. It was at the crossroads of commerce. It was an important city of culture and refinement. Okay. As opposed to when you get to Lystra and Derby. So, because you're getting further away from, I don't want to say civilization because there were people there, but they weren't, I guess, as refined as, as maybe as the people in Antioch and culture and so on. And then we come to Lystra. That's where today's um, message comes from. But a little bit of background. Lystra, here's what my studies told me. Lystra was a small country town in Paul's day. It was a frontier outpost of the Roman Empire. The Lystrians were generally uneducated and it seems gullible. Kenneth Gegel writes that here at Lystra, the gospel plunges into raw heathenism, and like of which the, these missionaries certainly never saw in such primitive form. Lystra was a Roman colony in the province of Galatia. You ever like the book of Galatians? So that's what we're talking about, that region. 
Arnold says the whole area of Galatia was notorious for impenetrable paganism. The people who settled in Galatia were the Gauls. I don't know if you remember, like, so they came from the area of France. Remember, there was a president that was called Charles de Gaulle. So the Gauls, they came down from France. They settled in this area. It says they were warlike people. In 189 BC, they were made subjects of the Roman Empire. They were fearlessly nationalistic and helped. Uh, uh, oh, and anyways, and they uh, they clung to their language as well, their customs and language. Julius Caesar said of this of the Gauls. Their infirmity of the Gauls is like they are fickle in their resolves, fond to change and not to be trusted. That's what Julius Caesar said about these people. So anyways, and you can sort of see that. I mean, were they just sort of changed? All of a sudden, they're trying to worship Paul and Barnabas, and the next moment, they're trying to kill him. All right, so it's about 20 miles away. It's not that far away from Iconium. Now, the important also thing to remember is this. What else do we know about Lystra? And this is, like, sort of important. Do you know what person, like, was from that area? It says in chapter 16, verse 1, And then he came to Derby, and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a Jewish and a believer but whose father was a Greek. So on the first missionary journey, Paul is going through Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. And Lystra, not only in Derby, there was a person named Gaius was from Derby. I mean, we don't hear a lot of like the disciples that followed Paul from Antioch or Iconium, but we hear of one from Lystra, Timothy, and we hear one from Derby, Gaius. So that's important to remember as we go through this. So now we get to verse 8. My section. In Lystra there sat a man crippled in his feet who was lame from birth, who had never walked. I thought it was really interesting how Dr. Luke talked about this. I mean, he didn't say, you know, he, he was not able to walk. I mean, he goes into detail here. He was a crippled man in his feet. He was lame from birth and he never walked. I mean, this was a true miracle. He never walked. Now, I think this is also interesting, too. Because notice when he goes to Antioch, he goes to synagogue. When he goes to Iconium, he goes to synagogue. When he goes to Lystra, he's not going to synagogue, right? He's out where the people are. And it says this. It says, verse 9, He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed. Now I want to stop right there for a second. I noticed that he wasn't healed first, right? I like it. There's a, a verse that's in Romans that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. He had preached. And that crippled person, there was like a revival going in that person's soul. I mean, he believed and Peter, Paul saw that he had faith and was able and, and he was healed. And there was a testimony of God's message through that healing that happened there. So Paul preached the gospel before the, the, the miracle was performed. And that miracle authenticated Paul's, what Paul had proclaimed. Now this was interesting too, because remember, it was, he called, they called Paul Hermes, and they called Barnabas Zeus, right? So what do we know about Hermes? 
Well, we know Hermes is also, you might know him as, in Roman, you know, mythology, like as, as Mercury, right? And he was like the chief spokesman, right? He was the chief spokesman. Well, listen to this. In verse 10, it says, And called out, Stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. That word called out is a really interesting word. We actually get that word in English. So the word for loud is mega. And the word for voice is phone. Literally, you could say that he is like a megaphone. And that's what the word means. He called out, Stand up on your feet. And that, the man jumped up and began to walk. So, when they, so that's why they were calling. He was there was without a doubt that this man was the spokesman. Although Barnabas was there, right? But Paul was the spokesperson there, and he was the one that was taken out that was stoned. Now, what was the response? So remember, Zeus. Uh, that's why I appreciate a little bit more time with study on this. Is Zeus was like the thunder god. He was the god, the king of all the gods of Mount Olympus. He was like the Roman equivalent of Jupiter. So I don't know, I can't really, you're sort of speculating away like Barnabas, what was he like? Was he the large stoic guy that was there? I don't know. But we know with Hermes that he was the god of trade, heraldry, uh, merchants, commerce, roads, trickery, athletes. Hermes was an emissary of a missionary of the gods. He was a god of eloquence, it says. He is described as moving freely between the worlds of mortal and divine. The Roman equivalent would be Mercury. So, and the important thing also to remember is that Zeus was the patron god of Lystra. And his temple was actually there, it tells us. Because you can see in verse 13, it says, The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. Now, the sacrifices, these wreaths would be like these woolen-type garlands placed around like sacrificial animals. So there was paganism that was going there. Can you see why Paul couldn't say, now let's turn to the Torah. Now let's see what Moses said. They had no background, right? So he's going there. That's why he talks about, and God, what he gives you rain from heaven, and he provides crops for you. He's talking about, you know, this uh, revelation, natural or general revelation, Okay. But he, he makes sure he talks about some specific revelation because he's talking about Jesus. So what about this idea of why would these, these um, people from Lystra want to sacrifice from Zeus and Hermes? Well, I did a little research on that. And I found it in multiple places, so I'm not saying it's absolutely true on this, but this is the, um, the background that's behind it. We know, do know that there was a, a Roman poet his name was Ovid. And the poet said, wrote about a supposed visit that happened in the same general area of Zeus and Hermes, that involved Zeus and Hermes. And they, they, they tried to get food and lodging, but none of the people in Lystra or that surrounding area would, uh, would accept them except this old peasant couple. And this old couple, they even have the names in this, this poet, Ovid, this poem, they call it Philemon. It's not the Philemon in the Bible, it's different. Philemon and Bossus. And after they nourished Zeus and Hermes, they, they drowned the entire town. They were killed, killing them all. But the old couple's abode became a beautiful palace, and they served as priest and priestesses, a priestess, 
And after they died, they became stately trees in the city. So that's sort of the background of this Roman poet who told about this story. Well, anyway, the people of Lystra were determined not to allow such an oversight to happen again. So here's what I, I could see happening. Because if they, we do know that there was a pagan city. We do know that there was this Roman poet that wrote about this. And um, there was a legend that said that they had rejected Zeus and Hermes. Not this time. Not this time. They were going to make sure. They're gonna, they saw Paul and Barnabas. They saw a miraculous miracle happen right there, right? And they were going to uh, offer worship to them. Now, what's Paul and Barnabas' response? This is an interesting word, too. Um, there's a word in English called like, onanomapia, where the word sounds like what it actually is. And so this word is the word kradso. And, so, and it means two things. It means to cry out, but it also means the call of a raven. Crawl. You see that? Crawdso. Crawd. And you hear that, not only it's used multiple times in the Bible, when it's used like when, Peter, when Stephen's getting stoned, and they cry out like, stop! Remember we studied that in Acts, and then they stoned him? That's the same word. I mean, it's a loud cry. It's like, ah! Type of thing. So Paul and Barnabas, I mean, they, they, it says um, that they cried out. I mean, you're not going to like offer sacrifice. And plus it made me think of this. What happened in chapter 12 that we studied that had to do with pride? And, and his name was King Agrippa I. Remember that? And he felt pride. He got eaten up by worms. I mean, I'm sure the story had been gone out. And it's like, no, this is wrong, you know? And so they cried out with Kradso. So also they called, I think it's important to note that some people might get confused. It says when the apostles Barnabas and Paul. An apostle, yeah, there were 12 apostles. That's true. But apostle also has the idea of being sent out. And they, with a commissioning, were Paul and Barnabas commissioned and sent out from a church? They were. So literally, they were apostles in that sense. They were sent out. And I think that's the way that it's used right here. I think it's also important to understand this as well. You know, Satan can derail Christian witness with persecution. That's true. But he also can do it with praise. Too much praise can, can destroy many a preacher and, I, and, and many people that want to live for Christ. That's why it says in Proverbs 27.1, let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. I think it's really important to understand that. And I want you to know it's only by the grace of God that I'm standing here today because I'm not doing it in myself at all. Any words that I say go all praise to Him. And um, I thank God for His empowering Spirit working in my life to be able to share the Gospel. And if you see Joe up here, you're seeing the wrong thing. You should be seeing Jesus because Jesus is who I, I want to shine the light on. Also, it's, it says that they tore their clothes. Tearing their clothes is like a Jewish way of showing great anguish or pain or distress or horror or repulsion. And um, I, as like I said, I'm sure that there were memories of you know, uh, King Agrippa when uh, he was eaten away by worms. But they said in verse 15, it says, 
like, what are you doing? What are you doing? And it says, we are bringing you good news and telling you to turn from these worthless things. So these worthless things, these idols. And I thought, you know, when we were studying 1 John, that was a long time ago in Sunday school, but I still remember the last verse. I think it's so impactful. But it says, little children, what does it say? To stay away from idols. In fact, one of the, there's a cure actually for that. Um, this idols, and, and it's found also in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I think it's like verse 16. It says, flee. I mean, flee from them. Um, you have to, the only, there's only one person who deserves our worship, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's, now, we get to verse 18, or, or the next section, Acts 14, 19 through 20. This is the commitment to the word. So we talked about the response to the word and now the commitment to the word. Notice how, you know, I think Julius Caesar had some insight when he says they're a fickle people. Because it reminded me somewhat of like Jesus going into Jerusalem, remember, on, when it was on um, Palm Sunday, when they were saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And on Friday they're saying, crucify him. Well, I mean, that was like five days later. Here it's on the same day. They were ready to worship Paul and Barnabas, and then all of a sudden they were ready to, to kill him. But did you notice here, and that's why I wanted to bring in chapters 13 as well, but it says, and then some Jews came from Iconium and Antioch, and they stirred up the crowd. They won the crowd over, and they shouted, Paul, and they stoned Paul and they dragged him outside the city thinking that he was dead. I don't know if he was dead or not. I think it was, if it says he's thinking that he was dead, maybe they supposed he was dead. I don't know if there was a miracle that happened. I wasn't there. My thinking was he's probably knocked out and then he got up. But what is remarkable to me with all that is we do know that he got up and he walked 60 miles, not on an interstate highway, but on a dirt road in the mountains to Derby. That's remarkable. That's remarkable. Okay. So I want to conclude with this. The stories in the book of Acts are more than just journal entries of a traveler documenting his adventures. These accounts are the fulfillment of Jesus Christ building His church through the work of the Holy Spirit to complete the Great Commission. Sometimes along the way, God's servants experience adversity. Do you remember the words that, to Ananias about Saul? What were the words that the Lord said? I will show him how much he must suffer for my namesake. Do you remember that? And he did too. But we should not fear. Acts 4.29 says, Now consider their threats and enable your servant to speak your word with great boldness. We realize that everyone who wants to live a godly life will be persecuted. 2 Timothy 3.12 Jesus said, Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Matthew 5.12 Suffering refines us to endure, be steadfast and be patient. James 1.2-4 we can rejoice and be counted worthy to suffer in the name, for the name of Christ, Acts 5.41. We need to see from God's viewpoint that trials and sufferings are only temporary, not eternal. 
That's 2 Corinthians 4, uh, 17 and 18. Jesus sends us out on this great commission and ends with these words of assurance. Surely I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And that's why Tozer, I believe, when he said, a scared world needs a fearless church. So how do we, what kind of application are we looking at here about this holy boldness that we see from Paul? Paul and Barnabas didn't go to Lystra and Derby out of fear to just escape persecution. They went there to preach the gospel. Paul and Barnabas were bold in their faith. I don't know if I've said that enough. Be bold. They are not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Romans 1.16 In the synagogue or the marketplace, they preach Jesus Christ crucified to, an un, to uncivilized pagans, Jewish legalists, or anyone else who would listen. Number two, I was thinking about this idea of idolatry a little bit. What does idolatry do to a person? It enslaves and it deceives. What is a practical word for all of us about idolatry? It's in 1 Corinthians 10, 14, as I said earlier. It's to flee, flee those things. Anything your heart clings to and confides in is your God. There's only one person who should be on the throne of your heart, and that is Jesus. John 20, 1 John 5.21 says, Keep yourselves from idols. And one of the um, books that I have is called, um, it's, in Flan, it's called Fanning the Flame. And Joseph Stoll wrote the book. And I really like that book a lot. But he, he wrote it, uh, a little writing in front. And it, said, it was Proverbs 4.23. I think this is so important, not only for us, but especially for young people. It says, guard your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. It's so important to guard your heart, not allow idols to creep in. Also this, the lame man, the third point, the lame man, though he never walked in his life, he made an effort to obey. He had faith enough to try at that moment, and he began to obey. The power of faith was unleashed through his obedience. That is exactly why the way that Christian life always works. It doesn't make a difference whether the problem is physical, emotional, or spiritual. You're going to be held in bondage until you begin to obey the Word of the Lord and trust in Jesus Christ. Jim Elliott said this. He was a missionary to the Aka Indians. He was one of those that was killed. You've probably heard of Elizabeth Elliott in Ecuador. He says, wherever you are, be all there. Wherever you are, be all there. I take that as me. Be all there for Christ. Obey Christ in everything. Wherever you are, be all there. Live to the hilt every situation you believe to be the will of God. Live to the hilt. Now when I look at Paul's life, and Jim Hennessy he said this, man, I admire some of the things that Paul did. I think Paul was obedient to God's will for his life. So I end with this. The exegetical idea is this. This is the idea that I see in, in chapter 14 with Lister and Derby. Faithfully sow seeds of the gospel. Leave the results with God. God will cause the growth. We're there to plant and to water. And the main thing that I want you to remember as you leave today is this. We are Christ's witnesses. 
Be bold. Be fearless, not fearful. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, just thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you would help us with your Holy Spirit to help us to give glory to you in everything. But also, Lord, just to, to, with Holy Spirit power, be bold in our convictions to live for you and you alone. Lord, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for this time. We thank you for this, the, the encouragement we get from the scripture. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.